Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. We've all heard the phrase, beam me up, Scotty, Captain Kirk's famous quote from Star Trek, the original series. That statement now tends to have a different meaning. It tends to mean the desire to be somewhere else. We saw that in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. That also created the idea of being taken up, in that case in a spaceship, to go somewhere beyond their understanding. So the concept of beam me up or wanting to get out of here is nothing new, especially with all the talk these days about unidentified flying objects that respectable pilots and other people are seeing. But it takes on a whole new meaning when we understand it from a biblical perspective. Because there's coming a time, soon I believe, when Jesus will come quickly in the twinkling of an eye with a shout and call his people out of this world and into his presence. That's known as the rapture of the church, which is our topic here today. I'm Debbie Blank. Thanks for joining us as we continue to study the book of Revelation. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. One of my sons actually used to have a door hanger on his bedroom door that read, Beam me up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life down here. It was funny at the time, but now it could describe the serious longing of people to be beamed up from the increasing chaos of this world. And as Debbie just said, the good news is that the Bible promises believers there is a time when that will literally happen. Chapter 4 of Revelation follows the first three chapters in chronological order, as described in chapter 1, verse 19. So, after the discussion of the seven churches, John is suddenly called up to the throne room of heaven to begin to show us the things that are to come. Jackie, I'm glad you mentioned Revelation 1.19 because that lays out the whole concept of the book of Revelation. When John was told to write the things that you have seen, that's chapter 1. The things which are, well, that was at John's time period, which were chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. And then he was told to write the things which will take place after these things, which means after the church age. And that's where we are. So we've walked through chapter one of Revelation, which is really the introduction of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember that 85% of the verses in chapter one talk about Jesus. We see Jesus. We see God the Father mentioned totally throughout the first five chapters of Revelation. And then things change. So we saw the explanation, the introduction in chapter one. We read the letters to the churches, how Jesus introduced each one of them because he is the God of the churches. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone of the churches. And he wrote letters so that we would know how he would have us live. So we would recognize what's happening in our churches and repent, change if we needed to. Now, everything's going to change because now John's going up to heaven. What we want to focus on today is Revelation 4, 1 and 2, because that gives John a whole different venue of where he's going and how he's getting there. So when we think of the chronology of, like you said, after the church age, after the churches have been addressed, then for some reason, chronologically, John is called to heaven. 
Is that why we consider this perhaps an analogy or a definite reference to the rapture? Absolutely it is. In the book of Revelation, there's several things that we have to look for throughout the book as we're studying it. One is, of course, talking about Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. But also we have to look for time phrases, things that relate to the timing, because what we find in Revelation is it's pretty chronological from here all the way through until the end, except for a few different places in between that we'll explain. It goes in sequence. So we need to look at the time frames to prove that. And then we also need to look for similes like as, because John is trying to describe things from his first century mindset into what's going to happen literally 2,000 or more years after John. So he always is using similes. Does that mean these are symbolic, the things that he's explaining? No, it doesn't. It means that he's explaining them in his language as how he can explain them with a simile. So we have to look for similes as we're going through here. In Revelation 14, 1 and 2, we see a couple of time sequences. We're going to read those two verses and then we're going to digest them one by one. Revelation 4, 1 and 2 reads, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Wow, how would our lives change if we for a millisecond had a glimpse of heaven? And if we had the opportunity to see God seated on the throne, even for a fraction of a moment, it would change our perspective of life forever because our focus would become one intently worshiping and honoring God instead of worried about the things of the world. If you talk to someone who's had a near-death experience, They will always tell you they didn't want to come back because they love being in the presence of God or in a peaceful place or however they describe it, rather than coming back to the pain and the turmoil that we experience on earth. Great life that God gives us here, but still it's nothing compared to heaven. So when John is called to heaven, John would be representative of Christians then? The believer is called to heaven and he sees what we would see after the rapture? Absolutely. So let's dissect this passage. It begins by saying, after these things. After what things? After Christ's letter to the churches. So after the period of the church age. If you read the book of Revelation, you find out that the church is mentioned 18 times in the first three chapters, and it's never mentioned again until the very end in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, when Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. So the church is not mentioned at all during the period of time that we know as the tribulation that the book of Revelation talks about starting in chapter six. So when it says after these things, after the period of the church age, John is called to heaven. And it's not just there. At the end of verse one, it also says, I will show you the things which must take place after these things. So after the church age, when did the church age begin? It began with Pentecost in Acts chapter two. The church age will end at what we call the rapture of the church. So the church age is what we're living in now, but we're living 
toward the very end of the church age? Well, we certainly believe so, because so many prophecies have been fulfilled that were prophesied for the returning of Jesus Christ. And no other generation has lived through the prophecies being fulfilled as we have. We found out with the COVID pandemic how things can change overnight. And that certainly can happen here. Now, going back to Revelation 4.1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Again, imagine yourself in a position where there's a door and you can walk right into heaven. Wouldn't every one of us want that? Well, John got to see it. How can we see it? Well, we can see it just as John did by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Remember that God tells us in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, believes in Jesus Christ, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if we will believe in Jesus, if we will turn our lives over to him as our Lord, we will have eternal life. We often forget the other part of that passage, which says we shall not perish. That means the people will perish. But if we believe in Jesus, we won't perish. Therefore, the people who don't believe in Jesus will perish. John had a relationship with Jesus Christ as his Lord, as his master, as his savior. He lived his life for him. He was provided through scripture, God's promise of eternal life. That's why he can look directly into heaven. We see Jesus in the previous descriptions as someone who can open the doors so that no one can shut them and can shut the doors so that no one can open them. And having heard that description, we see a door standing open in heaven. That's Jesus opening the door for the believers. And then there's an angel, the voice, the first one I heard relating back to chapter one, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. So not only is the door in heaven standing open, but he is encouraged to come on up. John has turned his life over to Jesus Christ. He can go to directly to heaven. And then he's told, I'm going to show you what must take place after these things. So we know the time frame here is after the church age. John's going to see what's going to take place. Verse two of Revelation four then says immediately. Well, this is a very interesting verse to me because in the book of Mark, the words used all the time. It means that when God acts, he acts quickly. He's immediate. He wants to deal with this now. And it will happen now. If you've ever prayed for something, and in my case, I prayed for God's wisdom in being able to teach a prophecy class somewhere, and they kept shutting the doors on me. One day I was praying, and just like that, after months of praying, God said, you need to do this. Wrote them down, immediately went to my computer. I typed up everything God had told me to prepare in order to petition to be able to teach it. And I put the documents together, took it in, and within a few days I had the approval to teach it. Because God's timing is perfect. When he says immediately, he wants us to do it immediately. Remember, Joseph, Jesus' father, several times at the beginning of Matthew and Luke, we're told that the angel appeared to Joseph and immediately he got up and did it. So we need to act immediately. God acts immediately. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing open in heaven and one seated on the throne. We'll talk more about those verses next week. What we want you to see here is that John is now in heaven. He's going to see what's going to happen to the world after the church is taken out of the way. God wants him to see it. He wants him to write it down. 
Now, people have asked me, why would God tell us about the tribulation period if the church aren't going to be here during that tribulation period? Because God wants to prepare us. He wants us to know the future so that we can see what's going to happen. We can see the results. We can turn to him so that we can not have to deal with those consequences. Why do we teach our kids to not put your hand on the burner of a stove? Because we want them to avoid the consequences. I'm going to backtrack just a second on the immediately, just to pull out another parallel with rapture. And I'm thinking about the scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, where it says, Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Here's John being called up in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, immediately he's in the presence of the Lord. That's right. One moment he's on the earth, the next moment he's up in heaven to be with God. That's the rapture of the church. Now, in order to understand the rapture, we have to go back and explain the timeline of God's prophetic plan for the future. If you put a line on a piece of paper on the far left, you have the Old Testament. That period ended when Jesus came, lived, died for our sins, rose from the dead. So I put a cross then right there at the end of the Old Testament. Then you have a period of time along that timeline known as the church age. That's where we are today. When does that end? It ends at the rapture of the church. We don't know when that's going to be. We think it's going to be soon. So we've got to be ready. So then I put a line at the end of the church age going up with an arrow going up because that's the rapture of the church where we go to be with Jesus. Then again, along that timeline, there's a seven-year tribulation period that's been prophesied in Daniel and again in Revelation and elsewhere, where God's wrath is poured out on an unbelieving world. That happens soon after the rapture. It lasts seven years. Then Jesus returns to earth. During the rapture of the church, he comes to the heavens. In the glorious appearing, he returns to the earth. That's the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus then ushers in his long-awaited kingdom on earth that he has prophesied that the Jews have been waiting for. It's that kingdom that caused them to miss his coming the first time because they were expecting him to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will in that thousand-year millennial kingdom that succeeds his glorious appearing when he comes to earth and he reigns for a thousand years. Then we have a few things happen in the book of Revelation before eternity comes. The eternity that we think of when we think of eternal heaven. So that's the timeline to help you to understand where the rapture of the church falls in God's plans. We know from trying to visualize this that Debbie got this from the book of Revelation. Essentially, it's there. It's the timeline from the beginning to the end of the book of Revelation. It really is. And it's great to see God being so succinct in what he tells us so that we understand every detail if we will search it out together. Well, let's explain the rapture of the church. Rapture means caught up, seized, and it really means seized with force. So it happens very quickly, as you said, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And it's with force. So we're like here and then all of a sudden we're not. We're just taken up like a rocket being shot off, but even more so. You know, maybe that people will be here and then they're not here, but it happens so quickly they don't even see it happen. The word for rapture can't be found in our English version of the Bible because it comes from a Latin word, from the Latin Vulgate interpretation of the Bible. And that word is rapirmer, which means caught up or carried off. And it comes from the word to snatch or to seize with force or to catch up that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16. 
This is the foundation for the rapture. For we say that this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep or died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. By the way, where's Jesus right now? He's in heaven. It tells us here he's coming down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he goes on to say, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Wow, I think that's pretty exciting. We who are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together with the saints of old in the clouds. We're going to meet the Lord in the air, and we're always going to be with the Lord from that moment forward. And when I think of the meaning of that word and the snatching, I think of being snatched out of danger, like you would snatch your child out of the street. When you see a car coming, a child wanders out into the street, you snatch them out of danger. You rescue them. And so we're going to be snatched away just like when we think of beaming me up, Scotty. Sometimes they were in danger on another planet, and they had to be beamed up immediately. That's being snatched out of danger. Oh, yeah. And Jesus even told us about it in John 14, 1 through 3, when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming again. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promises us that he's going to come back for us. Now, there's two kinds of Jesus return, two different time frames. One is the rapture where Jesus catches us up takes us up into the air. That's where we get the word rapture. And then we're going to have a time period when Jesus actually returns to earth. Debbie, you just mentioned that there are two aspects to the coming of Jesus. We've talked about the rapture, but there's another aspect. They're a little bit different, and I think that confuses people. So could you clear that up a little bit? All I can do is go back to Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18, those passages that we read, it says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up raptured together with those who've died in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. So we're going to be with him in the air, whether this is the current heaven that we know from scripture, because the heaven in scripture right now is not eternal heaven. We will read about that in Revelation 21 and 22, the eternal heaven where everything is completely changed. The current heaven is different. It's literally a temporary heaven where God is before the eternal one. This is where we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We stay with him in this heaven that we know is now, because remember those who've died and gone before us, they're going to be raptured first. And these are people who have believed in Jesus. Their bodies went into the grave, but their souls went to be with Jesus. So they're in heaven with Jesus right now. But again, it's a different heaven that we're going to see in the eternal heaven. I know that can be confusing to people, but right now, the hell that we think about, or Hades, is a different Hades than the eternal hell. Gehenna, we'll explain that as we get to the passages. 
they're different places. So we have the eternal ones versus the temporary ones. So it's not unusual to be caught up to this temporary heaven with Jesus and then stay with him because during the time of the tribulation on earth, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ where each one of us as Christians are going to be judged on the deeds which we have done, whether they be good or whether they be bad, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. Well, that takes time. If you look at everybody who's believed in Jesus for the last 2,000 years, that's a lot of people. Now, again, time is nothing with God. That could happen in a split second. But I think it's going to take longer. I think God's going to take his time with that while the things are going on here on earth, the tribulation period. So then when Jesus comes back, it's prophesied in Zechariah 14 that when Jesus returns, he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. So he's going to come to earth. It tells us that the earth is going to be changed. It's not going to be completely changed, but the mountains are going to come down and the islands are going to flee away and Jerusalem's going to be brought up into a bigger hill than it's on right now. Jesus is going to return and that's where he's going to live with his people for a thousand years here on earth. So it's a difference between us going up and meeting Christ and being taken out of the way before his wrath comes and him coming down and living on the earth and reigning on earth. A lot's going to go on in heaven during those seven years. But the point is he's going to catch us out of the way, take us away from this earth. Whoa, what an exciting experience that's going to be. People for thousands of years have wanted to be the ones alive when Jesus raptured the church. And we might be living in that era. I just look at that John 14, 1 through 3, those verses that you just read, and think of all the reassurances. But I circled all the different reassurances that are multiple times in each sentence where, you know, we're supposed to be comforted by this. We aren't supposed to be terrified by this. We are supposed to look forward that he is coming to gather us up himself. Such a reassurance. Now, a lot of people might think, well, this rapture is a little far-fetched. It sounds like a science fiction movie. Except that it's in scripture at least eight other times when we see raptures taking place. For example, you see Enoch in Genesis 5, 24. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. We saw a similar situation with Elijah in 2 Kings 2, 1 and 11, where he was taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven. He was alive, carried up into heaven. In Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah who was caught up into heaven to see God on his throne. Jesus, of course, we know was taken up into heaven and is going to return, even though he in his situation had a transformed body. In Revelation eleven twelve, there's two witnesses who are dead. Then they rise from the dead and they're raptured up into heaven. Philip, the evangelist, he was raptured from one place to another. So he was taken up, but then landed somewhere else on earth. Paul, you may recall in 2 Corinthians 12, says, I was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is God's heaven. So he was raptured up. He came back, but at least in the spirit, he was raptured up. And of course, John that we're talking about in Revelation 4.1. So this is not unusual. Well, it does happen, and so it's interesting to point out all of those examples that are scriptural. And so we know that God can do anything. If we can imagine it, God can do it, and there are more things that we can't even imagine that are waiting for us, the things that God has prepared for us. So we have all of those examples. What happens next? 
after the rapture of the church, the tribulation comes about. That's seven years of God's wrath on earth. That's what most of the book of Revelation is about. God dealing with the sins of mankind who will not turn to him. And we'll deal with that then. But God is taking us out of the equation before it happens. And you might say, well, why? Because we're born into sin and we sin. We're deserving of wrath or punishment. Except that God tells us in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if there's no condemnation and the tribulation is all about condemnation and the tribulation is all about dealing with those people who have not received Jesus Christ, the wrath of God have poured on them. It makes no sense that God would take the church through that time. And we also have to look at in Revelation 7, we will read about how God appoints 144,000 Jews. He seals them on their forehead. The general idea is that they will be evangelists to the Jewish people. You don't need evangelists if you've got the church, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we're the evangelists. But if we're taken out of the way, we need evangelists. His ultimate goal is to save his chosen people, the Jews. So he would want to have evangelists for his people. Well, and we think of the church as being the bride of Christ, and Christ would not let his bride suffer his wrath. It just doesn't make any sense. I think we can be assured that the rapture comes at a time before that wrath is poured out on the rest of the earth. We also read in the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10 how Jesus is going to keep them and us from the hour of testing. That doesn't mean he's going to take us out of it. It means we're going to be kept from it. We're not going to go through that hour of testing, which is shortly to come upon the earth. There's lots of other verses for what's known as the pre-tribulation rapture, which means the rapture will take place before the tribulation. Another of my favorite is Titus 2.13, which says our blessed hope is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We are called to be looking for the imminent, the quick, the anytime return of Jesus Christ. Well, that can't happen if the rapture takes place in the middle or later in the tribulation period, because we'll know the exact timing of what's going to happen based on the book of Revelation. The only explanation for that verse is the pre-tribulation rapture, where we are always looking expectantly for the return of Jesus. Now there's other positions. There's many people that believe that the rapture takes place in the middle of the tribulation. And that's very plausible because the tribulation is divided into two sections, really first three and a half years, second three and a half years. And the middle of the tribulation is when Satan takes over. So a lot of people say that the church is going to be taken out before the satanic activity happened. And there's several verses in scripture that give us that impression. I have answers and responses to them, but they are there and people believe it. There's also people believe in the post-tribulation rapture, which means that when Jesus is coming to earth at the end of the tribulation, right before he comes to earth, that's when the rapture takes place and we go up to meet him in the air. Now we know that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is day with God. So it's possible that we could go up and go through our judgment with Christ and then return with him because his timing is different than ours. But most of the verses that I read, I, again, can explain them away. I just want to encourage you as we think about this rapture to ask yourself, are you going to be raptured? When it's talking about the rapture of the church, it's not talking about the Methodists or the Catholics or the Baptists or the whomever. It's talking about those believers in Jesus Christ because the church are only those people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. Are you one of them? 
will you be going with the rapture? Because if you don't meet Christ in the air with the rapture, it's going to be hell on earth. Are you confident that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now is the time because Jesus could come at any moment. Every single prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to happen has been fulfilled. Now, there's lots of other prophecies to be fulfilled after the rapture, but everything's done now. Jesus could come any moment. And if we miss the rapture, that's it. A lot of people believe that if we've heard the gospel message before, we will not have a second chance during the tribulation if we don't accept Christ now. Jesus loves each one of us. He wants a relationship with us. It's up to us to turn to him. Will you turn to Jesus today? Will you humbly confess that you need him as Lord of your life, that he is your savior? Commit your life to him, believe in him, and you will be saved. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.